This week on the How To Be 60 podcast, we are joined by ubiquitous broadcaster and passionate cyclist Jeremy Vine. And I warn you, when he and Karen start talking about bikes, it gets a bit bizarre. Can I just give you a little tip? Yes. If you do go cycling on a long journey, not just work, is to put a banana skin in there. Wow. At the front or the back? Uh, well, actually, right enough, because I just put it. I wonder if it would work for that bloke. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. So greetings one and all, Adams and Mackenzie here for another look at Live Beyond the Big Six O, our last podcast before our Edinburgh Fringe run. I say run, maybe stagger might be a more appropriate, I, I don't know. Get a bit nervous. Oh, you are yes. getting nervous then. Well, do you know how the ticket sales are going? I'm not looking. It'll be fine. Have you decided what you're going to wear? Eh... Well, I'm guessing the show's going to be the same for sort of three nights, sort of, but I can hardly wear the same for gout, can I? No. So I am going to glam up because I know that you dressed down last year. I don't think that's Kate, a cool thing to now do. Now that you're 60, that you'll get off with that kind of casual gear anymore. So I think you're going to have to put a bit of effort in yourself. No, no, and no. Yeah, I think so. I might put on the regout that I had for that I bought for Lisa's wedding because let's face it, I don't get many opportunities to get no, out. No, you don't get so out. I'll uh, no. And does that accentuate your assets? Oh, I think so. Christ, <laughs> I wonder if it'll fit me. I've only got a week now. Oh my god, <laughs> it might not fit my new big bust. I never thought of that. But I better get it on again. I might have to let it out. <laughs> Very good. So where are you just now? You look as if you're in Granny's Healing Home. Granny's Highland Home for those those nissers. Yes, I'm I'm back. Isn't it funny how we say I'm back home? Where is your home? Is it where you were brought up or is it the one you're staying just now or what? So I'm back up in Inverdrui, just outside Aviemore. Inverdrui? You made that up. Inverdrui, Rothy Marcus. Great place, I have to say, for walking and cycling and I mean, it used to be really quiet. Now it's slightly busier. Actually, I'm not going to be walking this weekend because last weekend when I was away, I got a flaming tick and I've never had a tick mm. before. I don't mean a tick as in a twitch. I mean a tick bite. Well, one of these my... wee beasties that burrows into your flesh. Yes. I was. Where, where thinking... did it go for? I mean, if I was a tick and I was looking at you, oh. where would I go for? Let me think. Where would you? Oh, it wasn't the chest. It wasn't the chest. <laughs> It's actually my inner thigh, my Ooh, I, I uncharted territory. <laughs> <laughs> that has to be said. <laughs> I have no idea how it got there. But, oh, God. And I just discovered it the next morning and uh, when I got back home. And Stephen had a go at it with a tick remover. And then... Well, no, 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 wait a minute. Hang on. Let's user. picture the scene. You're lying in repose no, with legs, a, legs, a, legs akimbo. Stephen is in between your thighs trying to get a tick <laughs> out with, with his teeth. Well, can I just say he didn't <laughs> succeed? <laughs> I had to go and get the quick and pick, which is a little <laughs> instrument they use in sewing. And I sterilised it and I got in there and the little thing came out and I sort of saw it on my finger, but I didn't have my glasses on. And then it bounced off and then it was in the rug and then that was it. So... I'll not be walking near any farms or sheep or anything like that. I'll, I'll you know, I'm I'll sorry. stick to the kind of... I, I've still got that image in my head. I think it's like something from like a, an old people's rom-com. <laughs> I can imagine Jim Broadbent and Miriam Margulies. Oh, 
<laughs> Trying to get into this position and that position. <laughs> oh, I've not done this before for a long time. Do you get bored of each other at all? Because you're spending, you know, you're both kind of retired now. No. I well, the thing is, I was away last weekend. I'm away just now with Stephen, right? But actually, he's nowhere to be seen. Away last weekend with a friend. Away the weekend before that with another friend. So actually, no. And I think when we were together, I'm out in my greenhouse. He's away cycling. Or, um, no, I think we've got enough going on. And when I think, oh, it'd be nice to spend some time in the evening, even like watching the telly, he's away doing his blinking music or his Spanish. And so actually, having said that, we've got four days together now, so it could all go tits up. But, oh, there's that phrase again. Do you worry about that when you retire? No, well, no, no, I, I don't. I don't know, because Ian's always out doing something. I tell you what, our guest today is Jeremy Vine. He is the busiest man in television. His wife probably needs to see his passport to check it's him. Um, because he's just never there. I mean, he's got his BBC Two Radio Two show. He's got his Jeremy Vine show on Channel Five and umpteen other things. She'll never see right. him. Never see he's him. Seen him yeah. Do you think that's what keeps the relationship alive? Well, we'll ask him. He probably passes passes down the end of the road on his bike now and again, and she'll sort of wave <laughs> at him. When we do speak to him, Karen, can you I, not mention your crush on Ken Bruce? Are they not mates? Do you think? I, I don't know, but just like you know, it's just that because Jeremy's a younger man, Ken's an older man, and, and he might I don't know how he'll feel about Ken's your crush very attractive. On, are we still talking about Ken Bruce? Oh, his personality is just the best. Anyway, there we are. <laughs> I think I just need to move on. I just need you to do. move on. Well, the thing is yes, you can have a little yes. bit of cycling chat with Jeremy because he is a born-again cyclist. He's a cycling evangelist i would say right all right we'll just kind of it'll be you at the conversation then i have no no i've got back into my bike since i had my hip injury i mean my bike is flaming out of the fucking war how old is that bike of yours (laughs) i got it it when charlie was a baby so it was 21 years old it's the same age as my eldest child it's it means a lot to me that bike if that was a car you wouldn't allow it to be on the road honest to god almighty that is not doing your hip any good at all no 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 honestly my hip absolutely loves it I, i mean i did think should i go electric because my neighbour always gone electric. She blummin' loves it. She she goes, I see her whizzing past my drive and she's got a grin on her face. I don't know whether she's got a wee buzzer in the saddle. Maybe the electricity <laughs> is coming up there or something. But my God, I've never it's seen a happier woman. Oh, was so, you know, it's been so wet in Glasgow. I got absolutely soaked the other day on my bike. Because, well, so I used to walk to work, as you know, at the BBC. And now I take my mm-hmm. bike. Like Jeremy, we've got a lot in common. So I got soaked the other day. I wear one of those rubber raincoats, you know, the really sort of stiff rubber ones that you could stand up in a corner and it's cream coloured uh, with a hood. And I always joke that it's like a condom. So, I mean, like when I've got it on, it looks really ugly. So I always say, oh, I'm putting oh. the condom on. I know it's very funny. I know it's not very funny. Okay. It's puerile. Okay. It's puerile, right? God. So anyway, so I was on the bike. It was pissing with rain. I had the condom on. I had it tied really tight underneath my chin. And I had to go up this wee hill, you know, just there. And I thought, this must be what it feels like to be an old penis. Oh, do you know, because I had, do you know what? The rubber was encasing my head. I don't know if I want to go any further with it. Honestly, honestly, just put yourself in my position. It took a while to get going. 
took a while to get going. I'm peddling, I'm peddling. I managed to get some purchase. I got some purchase. And then, oh, I started to feel a bit wobbly. A wee bit wobbly. A wee bit sweaty. I made it to the top of the hill. Oh, and I collapsed. Geez. I thought oh this must be what it's like to be an old penis. Have you spoken to Ian about this? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm presuming it's Ian you're comparing it to. That is gross. It's like that Woody Allen movie. Do you remember it? I can't remember. Was it everything you've ever wanted to know about sex and be afraid to? Something like that. I'm not good at movies. But I, I tell you, I've, I had an out-of-body experience. <laughs> that is what I had. <laughs> That's just hideous. That is hideous. So, A, I want you to get rid of that bike. Don't know. I don't know if you're you're not ready for an electric one, although I do not condemn electric ones. I think they're brilliant. And people, if they're getting out on electric bikes, at least they're getting out on them. But you need to get, for God's sakes, get rid of that flaming four by four wheel thing you've got. I have just told you that I inhabited an old penis and you've completely ignored it and gone well, on about sorry, my bike. That's because I don't want to talk about your... Oh, you've got bingo wings. You've got bingo wings. I know. Wave, I have go got on, them. wave at me. Go on, wave at me. No. Go on, wave at me. No, you're such Come a on. bully. <laughs> you are such a freaking bully. I'm the first to say that. You are just horrible. Anyway, you can't detract from the fact that you've got this old fucking bike that needs to be in the top of a skip. And get yourself some decent clothing for your... For, I mean, God almighty, it's not as if you don't get any money. Get out and get a flaming waterproof that works instead of looking like a wrinkled old penis going up a hill. That's just gross. God almighty, God knows what Jeremy Flaming Vine's thinking about this. This is awful. Can we start again? It all goes pear-shaped when I'm not in the same room as you. Oh, God. Uh, well, we just have to be thankful it's not Ken Bruce, because that would be the end of it. Shall we have the email of the week? Well, yes, let's. God knows what's coming. <laughs> so here we go. This is from Jan. She says, Dear both, I emailed you some time back about how the pod had inspired me to embrace the idea of next chapters. I have retired today after 44 years in the NHS, the last 20 as a matron. I'm growing out the grey hair. I'm getting my nose pierced in the morning. I am wow. moving to Devon. Carol Smiley also planted a seed, so I'm going to be training to be a celebrant after I yeah. move. And after the safe arrival of my first grandchild in December, how exciting. I'll be 62 next month. Bring, full stop, it, full stop, on. Loving the That's pod. A- Reverend Richard Cole's especially fascinating. Very best, very best to you both. There oh, you go. It That's is. So positive, isn't it? That's we're starting a movement. Changes. We are starting you know a movement. And you're absolutely right. I think we are. It's brilliant, are. isn't it? We are. Anyway, and just a wee one at the end. I'm sneaking it in. Jane says, because you were asking about this, weren't you? She says, use baby oil on cotton wool to remove the marks left from your HERT patches. So there's a wee tip Do you know for what? You. Yeah, after you seeing mayonnaise, I was up in the bathroom and I thought, God, I could try the baby oil, and it's exactly what I did, and it works. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. You don't Jane. need mayonnaise. No, you don't need. No, you don't. Okay, your hair is looking a wee bit grey. It is. It's terrible, isn't your it? Roots. You're That's right. It's awful. I, I take. Oh, that you're up. letting your standards drop. I know. Oh my I know. God. Well, I know, but look at my roots. But you your hair's like that all over. I'm quite happy with that. Mine's intentional. <gasps> They'll be giving you a flaming name, which you call it balaclava on the swim tomorrow. <laughs> they will, they will. Yeah, that's not a good thing. Keep those emails coming in. Podcast at htb60.com. 
I'm hoping we're going to speak to Jeremy after this. Jeremy. So funny. Are you traumatized so by that image? <laughs> that is a very, very funny thing. <laughs> yeah. can, okay. can you imagine it with the, the rock? You can imagine it though, can yeah, you? Yeah, Jeremy? I was right. But also what got me was, I don't know if we're, we're on here or we're just kind of... In a we're on, we're on. Okay, right. So I was just thinking there's some sort of frictional movement inside it, yeah. which is you. I mean, come on. That's not right. <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking, this is crazy. Yeah. The bingo wings and my God. Yeah. You just said all the things that I'm not allowed to say. That's the key <laughs> thing. Very interesting, this. You know, to a certain extent, it's a really interesting uh, discussion for people of around our age. You're 58, aren't you, Jeremy? Yes, I am. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We, we started are, looking for a venue, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Literally, yeah. You, you timed this so well. <laughs> Last week, I went to see a person about a sky bar somewhere to celebrate my 60th, right? So Did that's, you? Yes, because I thought at least I've got to have something to look forward to. Wow, but God, you're a bit ahead of the game. It's two years away. I am. And I know. And what's even tra more tragic about it is that when I found what I thought was the right place online, <laughs> I went to it and it turned out it was the same place I celebrated my 50th. But it oh, changed its name. So then I, was, I was in a complete quandary. Are you looking forward to it? I'm I'm okay with it. I've, I notice a lot of my friends taking what I would call evasive action. So, for example, I had a friend who wrote me a postcard the other day, and his handwriting had just gone to shit. And I was I thought I showed it to my wife, and I said, "It looks like Joel has had a stroke. How do I deal with this?" Because it it was illegible. And I rang him up, and I said, "He's a he's he's quite a well known lawyer. This guy." He said, no, don't worry. It's that I'm right-handed, but I've started writing with my left to try and reprogram my brain to ward off dementia. So I wow. said, what? He, look, he's the same age as me. He's panicking already. See, I thought most people learn a second language or another language or a third language, you know, a foreign language to try and stave off dementia. Or That would do it. Yeah, that might do it. I mean, it, it might you just waste a lot of time. I, I, I don't know if you, could, you couldn't learn it. You couldn't learn it as well yeah. as a five-year-old, could you? No, but writing with your other hand that it's that you know that's less natural with and not explaining it, you god, there's probably hundreds of people out there who thought you'd lost it. I know, I know. He's quite an eccentric guy. So I thought, am I doing so? I'm doing this the thing that I'm doing that's similar to that is because I realize that I love music, music even more than cycling. Music is it feels like it's my life, and I finally and I can't play an instrument and I can't sing, but I just love music. And the trouble with it is that my my passion is gradually zeroing in. So it goes from rock to a period between 1977 and 1982, to Elvis Costello, to Elvis Costello's second album, which is called This Year's Model. And basically, by the time I'm 70, I'm just going to be playing track one, side one, which is called <laughs> No Action. So I think I've got to break out of this because this is this is the narrowing. The narrowing is what, it's, what we have to resist. And so I'm trying to now only listen to music I don't like. So on Spotify, I'm getting it to, I'm deliberately giving the thumbs up to really bad songs. So it's giving me stuff I don't like. To, this is the equivalent of writing with your wrong hand. You've got to shake it up. I, no, I think you're nuts. Because <laughs> what would you waste time listening to music you don't like when there's so much out there that you would enjoy? 
let's say, Karen, there is an example. You've got two rooms and one room is full of people who share your opinions and the other room is full of people who disagree with you. Which room do you go into if you want to live an extra five years? Well, I know the one that you're going to suggest, but I'm going to go for the one that the people that share my opinions, because then at least it would give me some joy that somebody is at last agreeing with me uh, rather than having a flaming argument with somebody rather than myself or with Kate. No. Well, if you had, if if I may say so, having just listened to the first 10 minutes of your conversation, if you had somebody who just praised you and agreed with you on this brilliant podcast, you would die 10 years earlier. You know, the fact is you've got to be gingered up, right? I'm keeping you alive, Karen. I'm That's keeping it. you alive. Kay is the equivalent of the defibrillator. <laughs> 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 but for you, not taking a professional hat off, as a 58-year-old man, where do you place yourself? I think I've become sort of more liberal, actually. And I, strangely, this is dangerous now for me as a BBC guy, but I just think I am more inclined to side with um, the sort of outgroups or the others or the people who aren't mainstream. I don't know why that is, really. I just don't, because it should go the other way, shouldn't it? I should get narrower and narrower. I should go in the same room as Karen. We can all agree with each other. But I'm finding I'm going the other way. But I must, that's the grumpy old man now becomes somebody who grumps at the all the grumpy old men because I don't want to be one. I find myself kind of really wanting to connect with the people who are not like me. And I think that might be a good thing because I think maybe our instinct is as we get older, we do retreat into our tribe. In the early years as a reporter, I always used to say to myself, other lives. I was always going to places where I wouldn't have lived and I wouldn't have known anyone. And I just thought it was it was um, what life is all about. So when I hit 60, I'm going to try and take that with me. The idea mm. that I've got to be looking for other lives and getting out of my my tribe. Is that because you have a real consciousness of, and I'm going to use another phrase, which is very sort of current, your white privilege? Because there, there are people who reject that term and really get kind of angry when, when you suggest it, but you would accept it? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think, um, so there's, there's a comedy, and you'll probably be able to name it. I can't remember, but it was from when I was a teenager, and the, the bloke in the, the sort of gag in the comedy, you might know this, Karen, was this bloke always said, I didn't get where I am today without, and it was then fill in the gap. And it was every single week. It wasn't even funny, you know? And um, I think all of us instinctively, if you're, you know, you are a very hard worker, Kay, I know that. And you and I are a bit the same. We just, the, the, the answer to everything is harder, is work harder. You know, it's like Alex Ferguson, what is it? Nihil sans labore, nothing without work. So we work and work and work. And then naturally, if we have some measure of success, I wouldn't want to judge, you know, mine. But if you have some, you then think you've done it all yourself. And then there's a moment. And I think it was when I was about 50 where I thought I suddenly just my blinkers came off and I just saw you twat. You've just you've been given this. You've been given nearly all of it. You know, I had lovely, loving parents, good health. Born in 1965, you know, I wasn't in the middle of two world wars on the trot for a start. Uh, private school, my parents, what money they had, they just totally spent on our education. They spent it on nothing else. We had shit holidays in a good school. I just sort of thought, why did I not price that in? Why did I not realize that? I was kind of, I got a bit cross with myself. But I think that is, hopefully, that's the journey we all go on, where we suddenly see our lives in a, in a bigger context. Mm. So two things then. With your own girls, I was going to say to you, do you think they've influenced you? Because your girls are still teenagers, aren't they? So they're yeah. relatively young. So maybe you're having conversations with them. But also, they are children of privilege. Yeah, and that that does trouble me. But I think they, 
you know, one of my daughters was saying her her nickname was Nepo Babe because that's the new thing is that you nepotism is is absolutely a badge now. You can't hide from the privilege you have in our society. It's brutal. So she was just joking that her friends called her Nepo Babe because her dad's famous. Um, and I think the answer is that they won't. In in the past, it would be that that you know the father or the mother in broadcasting would get their kids the work experience. That won't happen anymore. I wouldn't dream of trying to get them any advantage inside any place I work. So if they want to try for a career in journalism, good luck. But that, you know, that's not something I feel I can help with. But the privilege is bigger than that, isn't it? Because the privilege is actually about, I suppose, health and wealth. And, you know, even living in London allows you to do work experience unpaid. That's a massive thing. Mm. So there's not much you can do about that. It troubles me, but it not that much, funnily enough. Did you put them through private school? Yeah. Yeah, I did. But that's partly just my scripting, because I think you you just do what you had done to you sort of thing. And and I, I just was a bit uncreative. Actually, we live in a bit of London where we tried to get them into the state, the, the, the best state school and we couldn't get them in. So we did, we had a go at it. But funnily enough, I mean, I'm a little bit careful talking about them sort of, you know, I don't want to be, be, be too descriptive. But it's just that the, the older one is at university now. The Oxbridge entrance from her private school, it was a complete disaster. You know, hardly anyone got in because Oxbridge is now working very deliberately to stop it, to stop, to cut that privilege out. And they're being quite successful at it. And I I, I said to her, you, you you probably won't get into Oxford or Cambridge because it's right that somebody with less privilege gets gets the place you you might have wanted. Mm. Well, there we get. That is, you know, one of the real sort of um, cliff edges of the culture war, isn't it? In that, because there'll be other people who say, well, any parent is going to want the best for their children, and you know, should they be disadvantaged because they were born with advantage? Do you know what I mean? It kind of becomes circular. Well, I suppose it seems unfair on them if you really actively try to disadvantage them for the whole of their lives. I think the key area is just they shouldn't get any sort of leg up into journalism their father's career because of who their father is and goodness knows we've seen that through the years with other journalistic dynasties you know but then even that maybe i'm wrong to say i you know what they'll find their own way you know i don't know i I really it troubles me but then i see friends who are well off trying to restrict all advantage from their kids and sometimes that goes wrong as well so God, you beat yourself up a lot, Jeremy. Yeah, I do. You know, I do. I think, I think, I do actually. Yeah. Sorry, and also, you, you, you've just done the most hilarious ten minutes I've ever heard. Now I've brought it down. Okay. No, God, we're being a bit too serious. I think being self-aware is quite important, actually. And I think I remember interviewing Anna Ford once. Right, I was at Radio Two. She was something to do with children in need. I said, "Wow, this is all right, isn't it? This job." And she said, "I'll never forget." It. She said, "We are the luckiest people in the history of the world." I thought, bloody hell, that is so true to be doing this now. Um, I mean, we've seen how, you know, delicate some of our sort of structures are where, where we think everything's stable and then it's not. The Roman Empire fell. Ukraine, you know, has had what it's got, got going on. We we shouldn't count on everything being stable forever. And we've been very, very lucky. So I always think of Anna when I think, you know, I've had a rough day. We're the luckiest people in the history of the world. And I had a very, I had a near death experience a year ago where I fell off. I mean, it is ridiculous, but I fell off a penny farthing, right? So I've been learning to ride this penny farthing because I saw somebody riding it and I thought, I've got to do something. It's the equivalent of trying to, you know, listen to bad music or write with my 
right hand or whatever because I'm left-handed. And I, I, I learned to ride a penny farthing. And it's brilliant because everybody laughs and stares and it's great. However, the one thing nobody said to me, and this is the why the reason they only lasted 10 years is obviously they had what's called a header, which is where you, you go over the handlebars. If it stops suddenly, you're only going one place. You're going over the handlebars. That's it. And your head is nearly nine feet up. And the reason it stopped suddenly when I was on it is because I went across some grass. And it's fate. I wish I'd thought about this, but there was a divot. Right. And the person who saw it, I was knocked out. But the person who saw it said it was like something from the Olympics. He said at one point you were a star shape and upside down in midair. So I hit the ground. I was wearing a helmet, but that's kind of irrelevant. Um, and all the air was knocked out of me. I was knocked out and I couldn't remember any of it. And amazingly, I went to A&E. They did every kind of test on x-rays and MRIs. And, and uh, yeah, I was right as rain. And I thought, okay, you only have that amount of luck once. Because that really could have ended up with me, you know, using a wheelchair for the rest of my life or only communicating by blinking. But listen, penny farthing, bit of a statement. What is going on there? I think I must I must have. And my brother has this as well because he's a comedian. We must be show off. I think mm-hmm. there must be a jazz hands thing there. And I see it in my brother. My sister's an actor as well. So there's something, something happened there. But the other aspect of that when you're in that kind of world is that you become exposed. You know, so people start to have an opinion on you because you have become a personality. They either like you or don't like you or bloody hate you or bloody love you. And um, that's quite an exposing place to be. How do you deal with that? Well, I think that social media has changed that completely because I, uh, for, for better or worse, I am on Twitter and I am very receptive to what anybody wants to say. And if they want to say something very, very rude, um, I mean, they only get a chance to say it once, you know, but I'm but I, I'm happy to hear. I mean, I had one yesterday, a guy, you know, the guy said, you are an effing C bastard wanker tosser, whatever. And then I, I looked at his his bio and it said, be kind. So, yeah, I suppose, but that's all. I do think that's all the ticket of this glorious experience. I've got to, you've just got to pay the price in terms of, you know, being open to people's opinions about you. And I try not to get upset. The one thing that I think was weird, actually, that happened, and I thought this really is a different territory, is that when COVID happened, obviously we went into this thing of as lockdown, whether or not you agree with it, and then there's a vaccine. And the vaccine arrives and all the science said this is going to really help. And as the presenter, I, you know, I'm going to report on the fact that they've done a great job getting it and it's working really well. Somehow people think I'm just making that up or that's my own view, you know, or or that I'm sort of doing what the government's asking for or whatever. At some point, there's then this massive backlash against the vaccine. Among, I say massive. There's a backlash that's very, very vociferous among a very small number of people. That's all fine as well, right? Because that's part of being in a society. The difference is they then come to my house. So these guys come with these, you know, yellow jackets and yellow placards to my house and they deliver, I wasn't in, but they deliver to my wife this document, um, which is kind of, I'm now being arraigned in the Nuremberg trials or something for causing death and disaster. And I showed it to a sister and she said, I can tell this isn't real because the very first thing says in the year of our Lord, 2020. <laughs> and she said, that's a giveaway. It's not a real document. So I didn't get to the end. It was a very boring thing, but it just struck me that that's kind of crazy. You know, mm-hmm. so two people come to my house, they give my wife this su- subpoena or whatever it was. 
they then do a little bit of social media where they said if 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 she hadn't received it, they would have gone and blockaded the high street. Now, what my neighbors are going to think when a load of people wearing yellow blockade the high street because I'm not at home because they say the vaccine doesn't work. And as I keep looking at the figures on it and it looks like it works to me. I mean, that's bonkers. And I think the world, you know, this thing where the social media world is not just this mm. crazy little cage, it can break out into real life. But I mean, is that more than bonkers? I mean, is that at times worrying? I mean, I know yeah. you, you were the object of a stalker, which I mean, you know, that's more than just bonkers, isn't it? I mean, yeah, he no, so, so this was a guy called Alex Belfield. That was he's gone to jail. Funny enough, he, he didn't get very long for my case. He got much longer for two other cases. He, there were eight victims. There are probably 10, 12, 15 victims of him. But He's, um, you know, in the end, the, the system worked there. But it, it was difficult for the police, I think, to understand that somebody who was acting wholly in digital could have caused so much distress to so many people, chiefly for women he worked with at BBC Leeds. I mean, the story of that is is incredible. Did that get underneath your skin then? Yeah, well, I tell you what happened. I mean, he, he was ranting about lots of broadcast people. He was very angry about the BBC. And he had a YouTube show with about 300,000 people watching. So, you know, there's, there's a level of attention. And I had never heard of him. And then someone said, oh, you ought to know this guy mentioned you last night. Now, this is a fatal thing because this person was not helping me. So they, they sent me a clip of, of him calling me and Victoria Derbyshire a very rude word beginning with C. He said, both of them are blank. So I thought, I'm still not going to, it doesn't even kind of go on the Richter scale for me. That's just part of, you know, the joy of living. So I, I simply upload a picture of him and say, who is this guy? And somebody got in touch with me, Stephen Nolan actually said, take that down because he's absolutely crazy, this guy. But within three minutes of this picture being up, he's it's like he got a tug on the line, you know. And at that point, he just started and he went on. He did broadcast after broadcast about me. He must have mentioned me 150 times or more. I was getting a neighbor who was watching it saying, you know, you, you really want to watch this stuff because he then gets this story, which was obviously untrue, which is that I um, I had helped organize a memorial service for my friend, John Myers, who was a big BBC figure, lovely guy, and that I'd stolen a thousand pounds from the memorial service. And then he repeated that and repeated that and said, people need to shout that at me in the street. They've got to ring my program. And at that point, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to bloody take libel action here. This is ridiculous. So I then start a libel case, at which point the police get in touch and they say, We're, we've got a case, criminal case with his other victims. So so that's how I sort of ended up in court with the guy. But I, I am so, uh, what's the word for being averse to fighting? You know, in, yeah. As a teenager in the pub, I could feel when it was going to kick off and I would take my pint into the car park. And it's just, it's no fun. Even winning, you know, we won this libel case. It's no fun. And, you know, ironically, I think one of the things about you that probably has upped the ante in terms of anyone that might be annoyed by you and you've got millions of fans is bloody cycling. I know. Isn't it funny? But here's the first time. It's so interesting. This the first time I'm suddenly in an out group. Uh, I won't use the word minority, but I'm in I'm in a group that's smaller than the people who aren't in the group. And it's a really weird experience. And this is where I think I do actually have, and maybe I had this with Belfield, where I suddenly thought, I'm actually going to stand and fight this one. You know, and it really takes a long time for me to think I'm not going to actually back down. I'm not going to hide on my bike. I'm not going to pretend I'm not cycling. 
all I'm trying to do is bloody well get to work without dying. Is that and you see immediately I'm triggered when you when you mentioned it. Is it too much to ask that I can actually ride to work without being injured, hurt, killed, turned left across, shouted at? You know, so let's game on. And I've got now I decided I'm gonna get every bloody camera in the world attached to my cycle helmet and we're gonna film all of them and report all of them. So then people really get shocked because they suddenly think, oh, my goodness, we have this nice conversation. And they just it happened to me with a neighbor the other day. The neighbor said, I think all cyclists should wear number plates. And I'm just straight away like, oh, OK, guys. let's do this, guys. Yeah. 1,700 people a year die because they're hit by cars. Three people a year die because they're hit by bicycles. More people die because they're stung by bees. You want to put number plates on bees? And my neighbor's going... Sorry, Jerry, I didn't mean to upset you. You know, is it not exhausting? Yeah, it is. It is. I need to come down off my bloody high horse. You know, my wife says never talk to anyone about cycling in the street that we live in, or I'll divorce you. Because so, yeah. it always goes wrong. But you, you know, Jeremy, you are so engaged in the world, aren't you? You're, you're so fired up by the world in your broadcasting career. You've got two great jobs. What are you going to do? If you get that tap on the shoulder, you know, once you hit 60, that says, listen, Jeremy, you've been great, fabulous, but do you know what? There's new people coming up. There's new talent. Yeah, I know. I've I've thought, I I always, one of my best friends is Fiona Bruce. And we've had this conversation where I say, look, one of us is going to have this done. We're we're suddenly told it's over and we'll ring up the other and we'll go for a massive lunch and just say, it's been great. Because we have to accept that because what you cannot do is say, how unfair. Look, the unfairness is we've done it for so long. Um, so I, don't, I I think I'll be I'll be cool with it, actually. I think I will. Um, of course, you? You, know, you know I won't be, Kay. But I don't. But I, mm. I do think I, I saw when Jimmy, bless him, Jimmy Young, Sir Jimmy Young, um, when he left, he was so angry about it. And I, even to the point where as the ingenue, I said, can I can I meet? Can we meet for lunch? Can we talk about it? He said, I, I do. And he sent me this little note. I do not have time for lunch. I thought, oh, my God, he's so cross. He's angry with me. Well, yeah, when my friend Ken left, what did you think then? Did you then think, oh, good? Yeah, yeah, I'm suddenly now, I'm I'm the oldest one. Now. <laughs> yeah, I was used to be, I was the youngest one for ages. Yeah, I don't really go for public panic, I think. I think, uh, let's, let's, let's see. I do, I mean, okay, here's my official reaction to that, is that as a journalist, as you get older, you get better. And uh, I have, bizarrely, because I once asked James Callahan a question, I'm going to say that I've interviewed every prime minister going back to 1977. So I think that's quite an asset. You know, I think that's quite good. And I, I'm obviously so uncomfortable talking about my own professional demise. I can't quite, quite factor it in. And I do think we all have to be aware that it's coming, you know, for all of us. I don't even know if it's age related, actually. I think it's, it's related. It's probably related to when people start to get grumpy about their employer. Mm. And they start to say, it's this bloody place, you know, that's the dangerous thought. But what would you do if you didn't work as hard as you do? Oh, loads. I write a book. I I go and uh, my little fantasy is that I'm going to have a a bicycle with a sort of big box on the front of it with about 200 books of poetry. And I'm going to cycle around my area and go and read poems to old people who are living alone. And I'll charge them six pence per poem and they can have credit. (laughs) (laughs) that's what i want to do so it'll be a poetry visit you book in and i'll cycle around i know the first time i do it the bike will get stolen 
So I'm still trying <laughs> to work out. <laughs> I'd love to get a massive lock for it. But uh, so I want to do that. I'd love to, you know, I love my wife. I'd love to travel with my wife. Uh, we, we, we talk about it a lot, you know. Um, yeah, but we just we just sort of think because because my mother-in-law um, died quite suddenly at sixty-seven, and at that point, and it and it was a real shock for us. You know, it was about uh, five six years ago, and I just assume that people just sort of go on forever until they 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 crater at ninety-eight and a half. In mm. an op- and you get warning, you get lots of warning when it's the wheels are coming off, and when someone in your family dies very suddenly, it does make you think. You know, you don't want to be necessarily assuming you're going to go on to 87 you know it could be a, a very bad thought that i mean i did uh, that thing of nobody on their deathbed says i wish i'd spent more time in the office that's not true because a lot of people say i could have been a contender which is the reverse of it mm. um so i'll work as long as there's work to do but if there isn't i'll find something so it genuinely doesn't scare you not working does not scare you no what scares me more is the the thought and you may have this Kay. i don't know that if they take your name off the building, your neon K Adams, and 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 your your neon Karen McKenzie, that you'll stop being neon as well. So once they say, you know, Jeremy, I'm sorry, we've taken your name off the building. You're suddenly there's nothing left of you. That's what that's what. Now once I I think I'm that person, then I've got a problem anyway. So yeah, I'm not you know I'm not going to be. I think I'll still be working at sixty. I think. Yes, of course you will. Yeah, I mean, God, what the bloody long silence was that for? Long, doubtful silence. What do you know? What have you heard? Oh, you're paranoid. All that. Oh, I'm so cool. We all are paranoid. Of course we are. It's interesting. He's quite a private man, Ken. I never really, I didn't, I wouldn't say I got to know him very well, but I think Ken would say the same of Terry. Funny enough, that sometimes people who front in such an intimate way so that every listener feels that they know them really well are quite hard to reach personally. But Jeremy, I would say the same of you. Wow. No, would you? Yeah, you're one of the most well-known people that we don't really know very well. My God, I feel like you, you do, though. That's interesting. I always think I'm probably too expressive. So what do I what do I need to do to be known? No, I, it's not that you you do need to do anything, but do you consciously keep a little bit of a a sort of shield around the real wow. Jeremy? Oh, that's so interesting. You said I need to I need to give that at least twenty four hours of thought because that's really a facer. Because I always think that I'm that the that what I, the thing that the danger in in music radio is a thing called DJ madness, which is where you become the person. You, you become the showbiz person that you've built up on the air, right? So the only way of avoiding it is to not have any distance between the person you are on the air and the real person. Ken does that. I hope, I thought I did that, but now you said that I'm worried. I'm worried that I'm 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 just shielding, you know, <laughs> masking. I think God, yeah. yeah. I mean, who's who's the guy that your wife knows and that your kids know? Who's the guy that? Oh, I see. Oh, it was me. Um, yeah. Oh, they just think I'm an idiot, you know. Um, they think I, I'm constantly doing things for effect. They think I'm always telling the same stories. I mean, always. They know that I have certain real passions, like Elvis Costello, for example. I don't get cr- really cross that much. Um, but I'm always off on a project, always doing something. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm going to hand you over to Karen for her bingo. Okay, bingo. Right. bingo wings. She's a witch. 
<laughs> okay, Jeremy. A, a number between one and 60, please. Right. My first number is going to be 45 because that is the title of an Elvis Costello song. Right. So have you switched um, to comfy underwear yet? Oh, my goodness me. Have I switched to comfy underwear? Well, you ask a brilliant question. I accidentally got a pair of cycling, not shorts, but they were the sort of underwear you wear if you are going on a long ride. Do you know what I mean? So they have a bit Added. of padding. Padded. Yes, yes. I wore them into work once um, mm -hmm. because I was going on and nobody noticed. And they have now taken a place in my circulating underwear. So occasionally I will be wearing them without due cause. <laughs> and I am wearing them at the moment. Oh, so you have asked a brilliant, I don't know how, I went up to Durham last night, as I mentioned, I put three pairs of pants in and one of them was padded. But I'm talking, uh, this is not padding as in, let's avoid any sort of unfortunate accident. This is padding as in, it's like Kevlar. You know, if someone fired a shotgun at my bum, I would not be injured. You'd be right, right. Can I just give you a little tip? Yes. Um, if you do go cycling um, on a long journey, not just work, um, is to put a banana skin in there. Wow. And, uh, like the front or yeah, the back? Uh, well, actually, right enough. Because I just put it. I wonder if it would work with a bloke. You well. do it, Karen. You put a banana yeah. skin between your bottoms. Uh, between, well, you know how you don't wear pants if you're wearing cycling shorts. You're just okay. straight and cycling shorts. Right. And I've done a few long cycles, and um, I put a banana skin in, and obviously the soft bit up the way. And as long as you cut off that really hard bit, you know that you peel. Uh, sorted. Wonderful, and and um, and it gives you a bit of flavour afterwards. <laughs> Well, the thing is, when you go to change it, you really need to have a bin nearby because it's black, completely black. I think that's, that is an amazing tip. I mean, the worry for me would be that it would fall out of my trouser leg at a dinner party. <laughs> no, hang on. Cycling shorts are tight. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, well, there's, wow. no, there's no room for movement down there. Right. Um, another number, Jen. Okay, so we did Elvis Costello's 45. I'm going 22 because that was a song by Taylor Swift. 60 role model. Who's your 60 role model? Sarah Jessica Parker, I think, was born in 1965 like me. She's somebody I think is eternally youthful and still has it. Oh, hasn't she? Uh, yeah, uh... and to be nearly 60. Oh, my God. And mm -hmm. her talent is amazing. She's very cool. Very, She's very cool. cool. Yeah. She won't have a banana skin down her cycling shorts. I can guarantee you that. Well, <laughs> I mean, let's just she think probably hasn't cycled 95 miles in a winter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jeremy, thank you so much. Thank you. We've really enjoyed speaking to you. So next week, it's the first of our Edinburgh Festival shows, for better or for worse. The great thing is we have some brilliant guests. Sally Phillips and Fiona Allen, originators of the award-winning Smack the Pony, the king and queen of crying, Ian Rankin and Denise Miner, and comedy royalty, Jack Doherty and Joe Caulfield. If you're in Edinburgh on the 9th, 10th or 11th of August, why not come and see us live?